Well, you mentioned habitat destruction earlier also in relation to another species, Sean. That's the Natterjack toad, Ireland's rarest and most endangered native amphibian species. Their existence in the wild is restricted to just a handful of coastal habitats in County Kerry, becoming endangered due to land reclamation and changes in farming practices. However, FOTA are now playing a key part in boosting numbers along with the National Parks and Wildlife Service. The Wildlife Park has released 7,000 toadlets. Terry Flanagan was with me in FOTA Wildlife Park during the week. All good, Terry? Yes, Derek. And while you were looking at the corncrakes, I was looking at the Natterjack toad. Now, the Natterjack toad is one of only three Irish amphibians, the other being the common frog and the smooth newt. But the Natterjack toad, it's been struggling here. It struggles in England, in in Wales, and also here in Ireland. They're only found in, in County Kerry. There's a number of differences between frogs and toads. And once you see the Natterjack toad, you're not going to mix it up with anything else. It's got this lovely yellow line, this stripe that goes down the middle of its back. And Derek, you'll remember going back 20 odd years ago or so, the Natterjack toad was the emblem of the programme. It was. I remember the first time I saw them was about 20 years ago when I was doing a report for the programme with Ferdia Marnell down in Castle Gregory and that distinctive call that they had and he was out there monitoring their numbers. Well, as I said, their numbers have not been doing well and since 2016, FOTA have been involved in breeding them and releasing them back to the wild. And of course, this happens behind the scenes I met up with John McLaughlin, who's in charge of this breeding and release project. Come on over here, Terry, I'll show you where they are. Um, how was your trip down today? It was great, came down by train. First time I've come down by train, and then when you get into Cork, straight onto the Cove train, brings you right to the door here. It does, it's a great asset we have here that the train stops right outside our gates. Yeah. Well, we're going to move indoors now, I think, are we? Yep, I'll take you inside to This is I... your porta cabin, is this it? This is it, this is what keeps me very busy all summer. So we're, we're moving indoors now, and we're moving into a, a porta cabin with lots of what look like cages or fish tanks, but they're they're not full of water. They're kind of a sandy material. They are. This is where we keep the adult toads uh, that we have here at Foda. Now these are not just any ordinary toads. No, these are our native uh, Natterjack toad. Right. But they're not normally found in County Cork. They're normally found in County Kerry. That's correct. These are ones that we've basically brought here to work on breeding them in captivity. Now, um, I'm just looking here. I can't see any at the moment. Where underneath that leaf of the oh yes, I can see. Oh yeah, yeah. He's um, he's almost covered in sand. It's very camouflaged, but he's got that distinctive yellow line down the back. That's right. That's one of the easiest way to tell them apart from the common frog that you might see. If it's got that bright yellow stripe, it's a, it's a toad. And, of course, they don't hop, they walk. They, that's correct. Now, they've been doing poorly in Ireland for a number of years, and what you're trying to do here is you're trying to rear them in captivity so that you can rewild them. That's right. We've been doing it since 2016, where we would get spawn or tadpoles from the wild. We bring them here. We rear them on in tubs till they're tiny little uh, toadlets, and then we send them back to be released. And toads, like a lot of amphibians, they just produce thousands of eggs with the hopes that one or two of them survive. There's no parental care whatsoever, so they're kind of at their own mercy of the whether the pond dries up, whether there's a big diving beetle that feasts on them. I was there one time, and we were collecting some egg strings, and there was a leech hoovering up the whole string at the same time we were catching so there's nothing protecting them 
Um, so you leave, like I say, out of a string of 2,000, you might get 20. Whereas if I took that string of 2,000 here, I could probably get to, to the little toadlet stage, maybe 1,500 of them. That's very, very good. And that just increases the odds of them surviving. Now, there's a second one I see in there, too. He's just there underneath that slate. That's right. There's actually three in there. If we, right. uh, there's one male and two females in that pen there. Um, now, this project's been in operation for a number of years now. Tell me a little bit about it. It's actually a very nice project to be involved in. We, every spring, we would basically get a batch of either eggs or our tadpoles. We bring them back here to FOTA. I set them up in tubs, baths, really. Once they hatch, uh, we just basically, they get fed a mixture of some fish food. Um, that's, you know, that's for the most part. You just feed them up. Lettuce, you know, when they get, when their guards get a bit bigger, we just basically um, would feed them lettuce as well. You just freeze the lettuce first and then thaw it out and throw it in and it's soft enough then for them to chew on and eat. It's very similar, I suppose, to taking frog spawn. I'd say almost identical, mm. the process involved. And how long does this whole process, this metamorphosis take? <clears throat> it varies. You're looking sometimes, you know, and it's genetically driven rather than environmentally driven. I'm, because in the past, I probably wouldn't have been so confident in saying that. But because we've raised enough here and I have single egg strings and yet I might get a variation. Some might metamorphosize, start metamorphosizing in, you know, four weeks time. Others, I've seen it be 12 weeks before they start to metamorphosize, and yet they all came from the same two, mm -hmm. the same batch. So, and I assume it's just a, a strategy, I would say, they have because, you know, very um, precocial. They don't look after the young. So is it really difficult? Now, if I was saying somebody, no, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of learning. You know, we've been doing this six years. There was a lot of learning, a lot of tweaking things um sometimes when they emerge they come out you think oh grand but then you come in the next morning and find them drowned in their own pool and you're thinking how does this happen but mm. again it just you know trial and error trial and error and you learned but it's, it's a matter of getting enough food into them and keeping things clean mm. um, that's the whole trick to it so it takes a lot of time in the summer months that's why i said to you this is where i spend all my time just constantly feeding and cleaning and then it's not hard the one thing I notice about them as well, too, is how well camouflaged they are, because it's a, it's a kind of a sandy soil that you have them on with that Tradescentia plant and then the lighting. And they blend in really, really well for an animal that's green. They do. They are remarkable. And in fact, there's times I struggle to find them in the pens. Um, this is probably part of the problem with monitoring them in the wild. Again, they're not that easy to find. They blend in. They tend to be nocturnal. So they're they're you know they're well suited to survive if they get everything else right for them. What do these feed on then? These adults, basically, they'll eat anything that'll fit in their mouth. Um, right. But it's mostly it's invertebrates. In the summer, I might get some earthworms for them, things like that. They'll eat those as well. They're not fussy. It's, if it, it just needs to move a bit to catch their eye, and they'll eat it. Um, in the fact, along some of those coastal shores, you'll see them eating those um. Those rock hoppers, you know, those things, oh, if you yeah, ever yeah. turn over a stone on the beach, they go hopping along, they'll, they'll feast on those as well. I'll just show you here under this little stone here, and what you'll see on the back side of it. Oh, there's another one there. Look at him. You'll see a toad under, under it, yes. And he's kind of buried himself in under that slab. Yeah, and that's what they would do in the, in the, for winter normally. They would um, just dig into either an yeah. old rabbit hole in the sand or just a hole in the, you know, could even be from some bird or something in the sand dunes. They'll just go down into a deep hole and sleep off while it's cold uh but you'll see on the back of these these are um these are springtails that are on the back they're tiny 
They're tiny. I can now, see them running around on a chunk. Now, the adult toads wouldn't be bothered eating these. They're a bit too small for mm. them. But this is what we feed the, um, the little toadlets when they hatch. Right. And they will eat as many of these as I can possibly get. And where do you get them? Well, these, I do breed some here. I can show you that. Okay. Let me just put this back. Make sure you don't crush him. Yeah. He's sound asleep in there, isn't yeah. he? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so just going over to the far side of your... So I have a cabinet here where I, uh, where I breed some of these. Here, and I can show you the... Now you're breeding some the of these. These are some of... The, these the, are some of these um, springtails. Yeah. Uh, so this is the food for the... For the, the toadlets. Right. Uh, this is their first food. Um, I always keep a little culture of the springtails going for now, the, the winter. The culture is on what looks like to me to be charcoal. That's exactly what it's on. It ten, It's... You know, it's I did a lot of moist research. Charcoal. It's moist. There's a bit of water in the bottom of the tray just to yeah. keep the humidity high. These guys like humidity. The charcoal's porous enough that it basically allows them to lay their eggs and stuff down in through it, and they don't get eaten by something else. And it just works as a very good medium for culturing them. And I see a, a number of fungal colonies there as well. Basically, the springtails just eat that fungus, and they, that's what their food is. I mean, they're, they're nature's little cleanup crew. So in the in the wild, they would be the things helping to eat yeah. the detritus and the fungus. So that's a self-contained habitat there that you have. And all it's doing is producing more and more and more springtails that you're going to use for the toadlets. That's correct. That's exactly what it is. But come summer, when we're in full swing, and we've got, you know, we might have at certain times, I might have five, six hundred toadlets on the go. You'd need quite a lot of them. I have to. We buy in some from a commercial breeder that does it for the um, for the pet trade. You know, they sell them. This year, then, you've released 500 toadlets. Have you any idea of how, how successful they can be? In other words, I'm thinking, you can't really tag them like a bird. Is there any way you can monitor them? Not at the moment. The only way we'll monitor them is you basically... Because they don't, they don't spread out that far that you would go back to the sites in three to four years' time. And if the amount, especially if some of these... Places we've let them go are um, sort of virgin ponds that have been created by farmers as part of a scheme. So if we've released there in three, four years' time. If there's toadlets breeding in the pond, we know we've had a success because mm-hmm. they probably came from, from our release. But that's really, at the moment, the only feasible way of monitoring them is just to look as you monitor every year, see if the population is showing up in places that they hadn't been before or in, at least increasing in places that there are some but not many. So this is something that goes on behind the scenes here in Fota that the public don't really know anything about. But what you're doing, you're helping to conserve an Irish species. That's correct. Very little advertising goes around it. And no, the public never get to see this. Um, Now it is hoped in the next year or two we are planning to build a little display that the public can see the toads in. But that hasn't, we don't have that at the moment. Right now it's just been focused on the the project, get it done, get it done right. Yes. And not worry so much about the public side of things. Thank you, Terry and John.